Welcome to the Unplugged Podcast with Debo Zarco, episode 46. Well, good day and welcome to another awesome week of the Unplugged Podcast, where we unplug from status quo and shift the paradigm from head to heart by co-creating a more passionate, compassionate, loving, and interconnected world. And this is the place where you'll hear inspiring interviews with athletes, activists, authors, artists, yogis, wellness experts, and everyday paradigm busters as we journey together into the infinite depths of the human heart to remember through the power of story who we all are at the core of our beings. I am your status quo crushing host, Debo Zarco, welcoming you to your weekly dose of authentic expression and open-hearted inspiration. And before digging in today, I want to remind you that my online shop is now open. Very excited about that. I've been working my tiny off to get this thing up and running for you with lots of really awesome products. And, uh, you know, I just lots of great stuff to guide you on your path to connecting to yourself and to feeling great. And for the month of September, everything in the shop is 10% off. And I'm continuing to create new products that will really, you know, help expedite your journey inwards so that you can actualize your greater self. Make that person that is meant to be realized out in the world. So again, everything for the month of September, everything, 10% off. And if you're on my email list, you will have the coupon code. And if not, you can join my email list and I'll send that code to you personally. I've created beautiful organic cotton message wear and I'm pleased to say that sales have already been pretty brisk. And I just had a single order today for 15 shirts. Amazing. So thank you to those who are already wearing the messages and also to those who will be wearing the messages. And I also want to let you know that I've created a number of guided meditations with binaural tones to balance and calm your mind and take you into a state of empowered expansion so that you remember that you are so much more than your body and your life patterns, and your behaviors, and your intellect. And these meditations were the magic bullet for me to really connect to my passion, purpose, and get me to a place where I took action to actually make my dreams a reality. And before that, my mind was still in the way, yeah, it was in the way, with its fears, excuses, and limitations. And, uh, I'd be hard-pressed to believe that you can't relate to this. So if you're still poo-pooing and shunning meditation, here's some tough love. You're never going to be as expansive as you can be, and you'll always live with excuses to play small. And the beauty of the binaural tones that I've added to these tracks, they're like a fast track to balance the brain without having to spend decades fighting the voices in your head. And lastly, I've partnered with my wonderful partner, Deb Gleason, who was 
in last week's podcast episode number 45. And I've included two of her most popular products in my shop. And one is a beautifully designed, by yours truly, 30-day plant-powered menu plan. And it takes all of the guesswork out of shifting to a more compassionate way of feeding yourself. And also great for those already walking the vegan path who just want some delicious new recipes that are easy, nutritious, and fun. And I've also included her Vegan with Ease ebook, also designed by moi. Why not plug it, right? And it's power packed with information uh, and, and tons of other delicious and nutritious recipes. And all of these soul-empowering products are available in my online store at devilsarco.com. And all the prices are in Canadian dollars, which works out to an added bonus for our American listeners, since your dollar is just rocking it right now. So head over to the shop and, um, and shop. Shop till you drop. 10% off all month. And as I mentioned, I'm hard at work creating and co-creating other new products that are going to really help skyrocket your life and take you to places that you never even imagined could be possible. I mean, why not share what I've learned along the way, right? So, um, so yeah, lots of new stuff that's, that's coming along down the pipes. And also, if there's anything that you'd like to see, send me an email. Engage with me, people engage. I love getting your emails, comments, all that kind of stuff. So don't be shy. I know that there's a lot of introverts out there listening, but you know what? Get out of your shell. Talk to me. Let's be a community. All right. (laughs) Anyway, thank you for your support. I'm always grateful for it. I'm also grateful for the fact that people are writing reviews and we're working up to our 20 review quota where I'll give away some some t-shirts in the Canadian store. I noticed that there's 17 reviews, so I need three more Canadians to review the podcast, rank and review the podcast in iTunes, and uh, and then I'll be drawing for a t-shirt for one lucky winner. And in the American store, the last time I looked, there was 11 reviews, so you're catching up. So uh, yeah, nine more reviews, and I'll do a draw for the U.S. gang. And for anybody... Anybody in other countries listening, don't be shy. Write a review. Let me know that you've reviewed. I only usually look at the American and the Canadian stores, but um, the iTunes stores, but I know you're out there because I see the stats. And uh, it looks like there's a lot in Australia. So, uh, so don't be shy. Write some reviews, rank it, and then let me know, and I'll check out the store there, and I'm going to add you to, uh, to the draws as well. And there you have it, the announcements for this week. And that brings us to this week's show. And I'm excited to introduce a good friend of mine who goes a number of years back now. And this week I speak with Susan Simmons. And she and I met when we were both swimming with the North Shore Masters Swim Club in Vancouver in 2006. And Susan is one of those people that I felt an instant connection with. She's warm, kind, funny, articulate, open-minded, and open-hearted. And at the time, when I was still living in Vancouver back, back in 2006, I didn't know that Susan was also burdened with multiple sclerosis. 
she just was one of those people who did not allow it to identify who she was. And I have to say that I was quite surprised when I did find out because she's someone who's allowed it to empower her rather than disempower her. And I remember a time after a particularly hard swim workout when a number of my teammates and I dragged ourselves over to the hot tub to relax our fatigued muscles. And I noticed that Susan had, had, she hadn't actually joined us in the hot tub, but she was sitting on the deck near us so that she could participate in the post-workout chit-chat. And incidentally, you'll understand why she didn't join us throughout the conversation that we have this week. Anyhow, when we'd all reached that point where it gets just a little too uncomfortable to stay in the hot tub anymore because, you know, you feel like you're going to melt, we all dispersed to our respective gender change rooms. And so off I went with my teammates to the women's shower room where we all continued on with the conversation from the the hot tub. And I had to say the conversation was pretty rich. And as we were all there showering and chatting away, we started to go deeper And Susan started to tell us about this amazing movie that she'd just seen and how it had shifted her outlook on a number of things that were quite powerful and profound for her. And this movie was called The Secret. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, that popular movie from a few years back. Actually, it was released in 2006 when we were actually talking about this. So it was a new release that she had just watched, something that had really touched her life and she was just sharing her enthusiasm with us and uh, yeah yeah it's that movie about the law of attraction that's the one so because of her recommendation and excitement about the movie my partner and I decided to watch it that evening so when we got home from swim practice we uh, we went on the laptop we rented it online and we snuggled on the couch with uh, with a giant bowl of popcorn Now, I haven't owned a TV since 1995, so on the rare occasions that I still actually do watch something, at that time it was a laptop. Now I don't have anything. I don't, I don't actually watch anything anymore. Just don't, not interested. But anyway, we were sitting there with a laptop and a giant bowl of popcorn. It was kind of fun. Cats all over us. That's, that's my life. Anyway, so we're watching the movie and I have to say it blew me away right from the get-go. My world was being altered as I was watching it. And that movie opened me up to a different way of understanding the power of thought and the mind that I hadn't previously considered. Now, as a lifelong athlete, I was already aware, very aware of the power of the mind. I don't think I've spoken about this. Yeah, I don't really speak about it much, but uh, I certainly haven't spoken about it on this podcast. But I used to be a national level golfer. And I learned very early on how powerful the mind could be to make or break my game. So I developed my mind and the power of it, the strength of it very early on in my life. So I developed it with discipline, perseverance, and unwavering belief. And that was the key was the unwavering belief because when belief wavered, that's when performance faltered. And this has actually stayed with me my entire life. And quite frankly, it actually gets stronger as I age. Now, even though I don't compete as an athlete anymore, the athlete in me never leaves. And that athlete is what I bring into my life in all areas of my life. So back to the golf, there was actually a time when I seriously considered turning pro and was moving in a really focused way in that direction. And I was actually offered a, a partial golf scholarship to an American university. 
And the reason it was a, a partial scholarship is because at that time, and that was in the, oh gosh, I'm dating myself, but I think you guys already know how young I am anyway. It's, uh, when would that have been? Probably in the 80s? Yeah, 80s. Anyways, at that time, they only offered partial golf scholarships to women. So, yeah, I know, not fair, but, you know, c'est la vie. It wasn't really meant to be anyhow because um, I soon settled on a university in Ottawa. I went to Carleton University, and I became a full-time partier instead. And I decided that partying was more important than a professional golfing career. You know, that's the way university can be for some of us, right? But because I was on that path, I was very, very aware of the power of the mind. And also as a lifelong swimmer and former national age group level swimmer, the power of the mind was critical for my performance and in taking me to the level that I reached at that time in my life. So serious athletes know that when the mind and the body are not synchronously connected, performance suffers. Anyway, back to the movie. So we watched the movie and I was so excited about this different perspective on the mind and the, the law of attraction and it opened me up further to the path that I'm on that has led me to where I am today, which is considerably more expansive than I was at that time. But it was actually a really powerful launching point for me. And I credit Susan for opening my mind to another way of understanding how powerful our thoughts actually are. And I don't think I've ever told her. So if you're listening, Susan... Thank you for recommending that movie because it had a bigger impact on me than you probably ever knew. And this is a great place to segue into the power of Susan's mind and how she has connected it with her heart to accomplish incredible physical feats that really inspire. Now the mind is quite powerful on its own, but when it's united and led by the limitlessness of the heart, that's when we become an unstoppable force. And Susan is an inspirational example of heart-driving mind, which in turn allowed her to accomplish these beautiful and amazing physical feats. Now, when we first met back in 2006, she was getting back into swimming after a long break, and I think it was 25 years. Now, she mentions this in the interview, so we'll, we'll know the facts as we go further into the interview or as we go into the interview and she was getting back into workouts in master's competitions at that time. Uh, now we also lost touch when I moved back to Ottawa in 2007. So I wasn't aware of her accomplishments over the years, but since moving back to British Columbia, we've reconnected and I have to say that I'm so inspired by who she's become and what she's accomplished with you know, what most people would consider a serious physical limitation. Susan's recently finished a grueling 70-kilometer swim across Lake Cowichan on Vancouver Island. And she also attempted a team crossing of the English Channel earlier this summer, only to be thwarted by the French. And there's actually quite a funny story there. She's crossed the Strait of Georgia in a relay launching from my hometown in Seashelt. And she swam over to Vancouver Island. 
And she had a surprise encounter with a gigantic swimming companion in a 10K swim in English Bay of Vancouver. And yeah, there's just so much. The list goes on and on. So you'll have to listen to this interview. It's quite fascinating and inspiring. So Susan could have easily become a professional victim with her MS, but instead she chose a different route. Now we all have a life story. But the question to ask is, do we allow it to shape us or do we allow it to define us? There's a big difference. In Susan's case, she allowed her story to shape her, which has empowered her to complete epic physical accomplishments that most people without a health disability would even consider. Susan Simmons proves that you are only a victim to your beliefs thoughts, and body, if that's the route you choose. So if she can accomplish what she has with MS, imagine what you can accomplish without it. It all starts with trust and belief in yourself. I'm thrilled to share this inspiring conversation with my dear friend, Susan Simmons, with you today. Enjoy. I always like to just start by thanking you for being here because I know that you're taking time out of your, your day, your healing, your schedule to, to chat with me. And I'm really excited about this conversation because you and I go back quite some time now. We do. It's probably, it's about 10 years. It's when I first started swimming. Yeah. Well, and I love starting with people's story. So I want to start with your story and we knew in you. I guess we knew one another, like you said, when we were, when you were just getting back into swimming, mm-hmm. getting back into swimming or getting into swimming. Well, I had stopped for about 25 years. <laughs> okay. So you were getting back into it. I was then. getting, it was, it was my first master's swim workout where I met you. Yeah. Wow. After 25 years of absence. I feel quite honored about that. Yeah, it was awesome. It was. Yeah. Okay. So now you've, com- you've just completed a 70 kilometer lake crossing, Lake Cowichan. Yes. And for the American listeners that I, I did the math here. Oh, thank you. 43.5 miles. Yes. Yeah. That's that's a, not, that sounds like a lot. It is a lot. 70 kilometers is a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. And, and you also have a, you know, a ton of other amazing swimming accomplishments that I'd like to, you know, weave into this conversation. But before we dive in, <laughs> metaphorically. Yeah. Let's back up a bit. And I'd love if you could explain to listeners how you got from then when we first met one another, even beforehand, um, to now and like, who is Susan Simmons and what were the aha moments, if there were any along the way that led you to this direction that you're in right now, where you're doing these epic swims. Yeah, I think I'm just rediscovering or discovering who I am. Um, 10 years ago, I was very sick. I have multiple sclerosis. And I had been diagnosed 20 years ago, I went blind, then my vision came back. Uh, But for a 10 year period, I did absolutely nothing. I kind of pretended I didn't have it. And thought, oh, it doesn't matter. Uh, I didn't work out because the doctor said don't. Uh, so I just, I got sicker and sicker. And at the point where we met, I had just started, I thought, 
you know, you're either going to end up in a wheelchair or you can do something about this. So I decided that I would start swimming again. It, swimming was, um, it's a sanctuary for me. I feel free, I'm comfortable, I feel like myself in the water. Uh, I'm able to meditate uh, and things like that. So I just thought, let me go back in the water and see what happens. The other thing about it is when you have MS, if you overheat, it can trigger an attack. So, or at least for me, there's a large percentage of us that are like that. So I thought, I'm, water is a good place to work out. So I did, I did that. I started swimming. Uh, and when I started, I'd swim 20 lengths at a time, and then I'd go home and I'd nap for three or four hours. And then I'd go back to the pool. So I eventually went from there to 70 kilometers <laughs> over a 10-year period. <laughs> Um, I just, I joined a master's swim club and I'd swim in the morning and eventually I'd swim in the morning and the night or I swam at night and then I added the mornings to it uh, and just kept working up the volume, did swim meets. So I was swimming 50 free, 100 freestyle, things like that. And then eventually started swimming butterfly. And one of my big uh, achievements was uh, 200 butterfly. That was what I swam as a youth. Yeah. So that. That is, okay, I have to interrupt here for a second because I didn't even know that. And that is, that's profound in itself. As a swimmer, you know, a lifelong swimmer, 200 butterfly, that is pain. It's not everybody's favorite. I know that. Um, but I, I loved it. And as a, as a youth swimmer, uh, that was my event was the 200 fly. It seemed I just have a very natural stroke. It's very comfortable for me. Uh, I don't seem to tire. I remember one time I had a workout as a kid when I was about 15 where we swam 200 lengths of butterfly without stopping. And I was in, two, wait a minute. Yeah. Not, not 200 meters. 200, 200 lengths. So five kilometers. And I was in heaven. I thought it was the best workout ever. Uh, so when I swam 200 fly again, I was overjoyed uh, that I was able to do it because it did take a while. Like when you're in your mid 40s, uh, things are a little bit harder than when you're 15. Um, <laughs> so, so it was it was good. And then eventually, I won uh, a gold at nationals for masters in the 200 fly. So I've managed to become ranked within the top three in Canada for that in my age group, and that that made me happy. I thought, okay, that's good. Um, so I, I just kept going and then I thought, well, now what am I going to do? I've done my goal. My goal was 200 fly. And I started open water swimming at Thetis Lake on Vancouver Island, which is a beautiful lake. It's a perfect swimming course. 1.5 kilometer swim, uh, very gentle lake. So I started there and then I started doing the Thetis Lake swim for MS. And uh, the first year was one and a half K, then three K then five, then five plus one and a half. Then I ran out of lake and I thought, (laughs) uh, what's next? Let me, uh, I had been on uh, a relay across the Strait of Georgia uh, as well from uh, Seashell to Nanaimo. And what's the distance there? That's 34 kilometers. So it's the equivalent to doing the English Channel. Uh, Okay, and it's uh, it's just so that people know, it's now I live in Seashell. You're living on Vancouver Island. Yes. That's, I mean, you're swimming in the ocean and it's, I know there's a lot of currents there and it can be quite treacherous as well. And it was. Mm. (laughs) It's on that particular day we had, so we, what happens is we start at sea shelf. I was the first one. I'm in for an hour, out for three. And there are three other people in the rotation. So everybody has an hour at a time and we're constantly rotating until we get to the other side. We did have wetsuits on. 
the water was about 17 or 18 degrees Celsius, which is pretty cold um, for swimming for most people. Uh, and we had seven foot swells. So oh it, my gosh. Yeah, that, but it was yeah. fun. I was loving it. I was just, you know, we let's find another wave. Like, this is fabulous. I really am having a good time here. Uh, I was sick for six hours. I found out then that I have motion sickness quite badly. So I usually have to do something to contain that. Um, <laughs> which is not, you know. Now, is that something you want to contain or is that is it better to just express that and be done no, with it? No, you want it. You have to get rid of it because you'll dehydrate pretty quickly. And, it, and it's happened to me on a few other swims too. So usually I have to take gravel or something else. It, it kicked in in the 70K swim as well. Like, there's a little story I'll tell you about that later on. But it's, it's, it's repeated itself on me a few times in my life. Uh, so I did that. And then I decided I'm going to do a 10-kilometer swim from West Vancouver to, to um, Kitsilano Beach in Oh, my Vancouver. gosh. You, you crossed that? I did the, the Bay Challenge. And that was, uh, so that was my biggest. I thought, can I go beyond this? And this was an incredible swim. We went through a shipping lane. We had wetsuits for this. Uh, we went through a shipping lane and all I could think of is I got to get through the shipping lane because if I don't get through, they're going to pluck me from the water and I won't be able to finish. You have a time limit uh, as to how long. Uh, so I made that. Then after that, I relaxed. And while I was swimming, I saw this massive, massive thing go beside me. And I thought, I think that was a whale. Yep, that was a whale. Okay, just keep swimming. Keep going the other way because you don't want to get hit by that whale's tail. That won't be very good. <laughs> but it was now, the most... Are you, are you, what kind of whale? Are you talking orca? It was or a gray bigger? whale. Oh my it God, was, you're talking big. It was a big whale. And there was a pod of them in... I, I At first I thought it was hallucinating. Um, but there was a pod spotted that day. So they did confirm that was indeed what I saw. It was right beside me and it was so gentle. You couldn't even feel it disrupting the water. It was just an incredible experience to have that, that lovely, beautiful whale right beside me. I thought, this is amazing. Like this is what open water is all about. Uh, so I, I finished that one and then I thought, what's next? And I thought, okay, let's see if I can do the same distance as the English Channel but here in an environment where I'm surrounded by people who love me and will take care of me. Uh, so I did one length of Couchin Lake, which is a 34-kilometer swim, and the English Channel's around 34 uh, kilometers as well. So I did that last year, and then at the end of that, uh, I did it with my friend Alex Cape, and we thought, hmm, what should we do next? And we thought, well, let's see what happens. If we can do two lengths of Cowichan Lake for 70 kilometers, that would be fabulous. So that's kind of how things have gone from having problems walking a block to swimming 70 kilometers over a 10-year period. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That is my story, and I'm sticking to it. So. <laughs> and, you know, quite frankly, I have to say that when I knew you way back then, when, when we were both swimming with the North Shore Masters, I really didn't know that you were so affected by MS because you were just so, you had such a joie de vivre, which hasn't changed, if anything. Yeah. It's, it's it's grown exponentially, I'd have to say. Yeah, I and, think that's and true. And you just, you have such a positive outlook and you have not, you have not let it, you know, it's not your identity. No, it is and it isn't. I mean, it is who, part of who I am. Uh, and I will never forget that. It's an important part of who I am. It's in, I need to remember that because there, I have to take that into consideration when I do my swims and when I live my daily life. 
So for some, somebody could go running in extreme heat. I know that that's not a good idea for me. So, so there it is, for it is part of my identity. But I also take pride in the fact that I'm able to do this stuff with MS and I want people to know that. That just because you have MS doesn't mean that you can't necessarily do these, you know, wonderful, beautiful things like swimming with gray whales in, uh, in English Bay. Um, it shouldn't stop you. So I have, to, I in some ways embrace my MS uh, because of that. Well, that's beautiful. So I guess in, in essence, you just haven't become a victim to it. Exactly. Yeah. And that's been key for me. I think I was for 10 years. And then I decided that being a victim isn't helping me at all. And that's when I kind of turned things around and uh, thought, no, that's not. And that's part of me finding myself because I've never been a victim in my life until I had MS. And uh, yeah, so. And do you think that was there a a symbolic moment, like a, a, a threshold moment that you can remember where all of a sudden it was like, I, I can't stand myself anymore. I don't like what I've become. I need to do something different. Yeah, actually, it was my partner, Ray, who yelled at me for uh, <laughs> because I was getting sicker and sicker. And he wasn't yelling at me because he's abusive. He was frightened. And it, when Ray is afraid for me, that's how it tends to come out. And I heard it in a different way than I've heard it things before. And I thought, I need to make a change because this is really scaring him. And if it's scaring him, that's not good. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, so he, I think he was the impetus to the, the change. I kind of knew myself too. Like after that happened, I started thinking about who I was and where I was going. And did I like that person? Did I want to be that person? And I didn't. I, I didn't want to be that person. And look at who you are now. Yeah, this one's way more fun. <laughs> no kidding. I'll have to say I really enjoyed our little swim when we uh, when we hooked up. Uh, that was, was a blast. Was it end of June, yeah. early July? Yeah. I don't I know how so, you did yeah. it, though. You were you were swimming in Thetis Lake without a wetsuit, and I had a sleeveless wetsuit and was still cold. It was still yeah. too chilly for me. Oh, we'll get used to no wetsuits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a wuss. But I want to, um, before you did this swim with in uh, Lake Cowichan, you actually took on the English Channel, and then you were in Hawaii. I'd like, if you could chat about those experiences, that would be cool. Yeah, so I had three big challenges this year. Every year I try to have more than one challenge because you never know what's going to happen with weather or other things. So usually I have two. This year I was a bit more ambitious. I thought I'd have three. I was uh, invited by friends to swim across the English Channel on a relay. Uh, This happened about two years ago because it takes about two years to get yourself over there. (laughs) And I thought, oh, okay, this will be cool. That'll be really fun. Uh, So there were four of us, the Georgia girls and two straight guys. Uh, We regularly swim across the Strait of Georgia, uh, who went over. uh, Karen Tannis, who is the one who really got me doing the big open water swimming, was one. Jim Close, who runs open water swimming in Vancouver, Bowser. And Bill Burton, who's this incredible man who just loves being in the water. He's, uh, I call him Beluga Bill. He just, he loves the ocean so much. We went over. Unfortunately, Jim broke his leg in a motorcycle accident about two months prior and wasn't able to swim. So we had a substitute swimmer come in, Wendy Burton, who's also a lifelong open water swimmer and uh, an incredible woman. She's in her 60s. And uh, I thought, what a great opportunity for her to come in. When we went to swim the channel, we understood that speed was not an issue. As long as you could manage the cold, you'd, you'd get across. 
and you could did you have a wetsuit for this no wetsuit so oh my gosh uh, yeah real open or not real uh traditional open water swimming or the uh, open water community when you do what's called an unassisted swim you have no wetsuit and you cannot touch the boat or be touched by any swimmer there's no assisting you in any way <clears throat> pardon me to move uh forward so, and the water is anywhere between 15 and 18 degrees usually. It's kind of like the Strait of Georgia, so we, we knew what to expect around temperature. So Wendy had joined our team and I was thrilled because it was an opportunity for somebody who otherwise would have never had an opportunity to do what she had wanted to do all of her life. So we get over there and uh, we're hanging out in Dover. You go from Dover to Calais, basically, uh, England to France. And meeting all these other open water swimmers, which was so nice because you don't have a lot of open water swimmers where we are. You have a lot of triathletes, but not, not we're called skin swimmers. We swim in just our skin in a bathing suit type of thing. They were all over the place. And I just thought, wow, this is fantastic. There's so many of them. And you see them on the beach all putting on their Vaseline and everything else, getting ready to go in the ocean. They're all excited, working uh, towards their swims. So... Uh, we had a six-day window. Uh, we went um, in on the third day, and we left early in the morning, about 5 o'clock. And sorry, when and was this? This was around the 24th of July. Of July of this year. Of this year, yeah. So we went. We got there around the 20th. So we, we jumped in, and uh, Bill was the first person to swim. He did a fabulous job. He almost touched the boat, and if he had touched the boat, we would have been out. Um, but they managed to prevent because he wasn't used to we had a big fishing boat beside us and none of us were really used to that we I usually use a little kayak uh, beside me and then Karen went and then I went and everything was going swimmingly and then Wendy jumped in and the tone of the pilot uh, and his crew completely changed uh, and they looked at us and said you're not going to make it and we thought like how is that because we were told speed was not an issue, that you could swim at any speed and make it across. But uh, we convinced them to let us have another go, and we said, we'll make up for what Wendy has fallen behind. Uh, and we did. So we each got in again after Wendy's turn, and uh, it, it was just beautiful watching everybody swim. You could see smiles on faces and, and sheer joy. And the other thing that was kind of neat was, wow, the English Channel is really easy compared to the Strait of Georgia. I have to say our waters are a lot more challenging over here. The water was 20 degrees on that day. So it was, for myself, it was pretty warm. Uh, and there was some waves, but nothing like the seven-foot swells we had the year that we did the Strait. Um, and I did, it, I did the Strait another year, and we had some really bad weather and got pulled out. So when we were in the Channel, we thought, no, I don't understand what all the hoopla is all about here. There were a lot of ships, though. You would see a lot of tankers going by you and ferries going back and forth from England to France, like I had never seen in my life. It, it, they're just all over the place. And There's hundreds of them. What, did you find that a little bit unnerving? Well, no, I trusted my crew. Like The, the uh, pilot's been doing this for about 18 years. Uh, they're in constant communication with the English and the French uh, Coast Guards. And... Uh, as well with the ship. So they, they know what these guys know what they're doing. They've they've got it all planned out. But still it's amazing to see tank massive tankers going by while you're swimming. You're like, wow, oh, that's a big boat. <laughs> um, 
So Wendy got in on her second time and um, halfway through it, they said, no, you're not going to make it. And we were over halfway across the channel and we were now on the French side. So what we think happened was there has been a lot of tension between the French and the English over the years, but more specifically in the channel over the last little while, to the point where the French are now asking that you carry your passports when you swim the English Channel or they'll turn you back, which I thought, that's bizarre. Um, you know, because somebody's just going to swim across the Channel and say, hey, I'm here to stay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see that happening. Um, anyway, so they, um, we think what happened was the French were very concerned that we weren't making enough progress and they sent us back. Oh. But we're not sure. Now, I don't know if you know, uh, the night before our swim, there was a giant fart machine pointed at France from the White Cliffs of Dover, which, <laughs> it's true. Are you I, serious? I kid you not. A giant, a giant fart a machine. A giant fart machine? A giant fart machine. Yeah, there was some guy. Just, some okay, you got you to gotta explain what that I is. Know, I know. I just thought, <laughs> wow, this is hilarious. There's some crazy inventor over in England, and he made a massive fart machine because he wanted to fart at the French, and he wanted them to hear it. So I'm thinking, okay, I think you've upset the French, and they're that is what happened. They've sent us back because we farted on. So I don't know. You brought the ten-year-old in me out of me. I know. I, know. I was trying to find humor in things, um, but I'm still happy that I did the channel. I'm thrilled that Wendy was in the water twice and got to experience swimming in the channel. We got some great video of her and some photos. I'll go, I'll go to the channel again. It's fine. Um, you know, I'm, I'll make sure they don't put a fart machine over, uh, over pointing over to France. You don't want to be um, foiled by the fart again. No, I know, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, but it, 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 it was an amazing experience, even though we didn't hit uh, Calais. And I'm just, I was thrilled to be a part of the team. And not making it, I think, actually brought the team closer together than had we made it. And we learned so much by not making it that we want to share with other people so that they can be successful. It's always when you don't succeed that you learn the most, right? It's so, true. It's yeah. True. There's no such thing as failure. There's only feedback. There you go. Yes. So I came back uh, a week later uh, and then I headed off to, I also do outrigger canoeing as one of my, it's my complimentary sport. Uh, something that I love. It's been great for teaching me how to manage big waves with swimming and understand water and finding lines and stuff. And plus it's a wonderful sport. So outrigger canoeing is a Hawaiian style canoe. It's a six man boat with a pontoon on the side. Uh, our our team uh, was uh, meant to uh, paddle in Kauai, uh, the Nepali coast. It was a 60-kilometer race where we were in the water for a half an hour and then on the boat, and then the guys would paddle, and we would switch like that for the 60 kilometers. So we arrived in Nepali around August 4th, and on the way, when I was at the airport, I heard there was two hurricanes headed for the island. And we thought, well, we're either going to have a really quick race <laughs> or a really slow race, depending on the direction of the wind. Uh, no, we, we thought we, it was probably going to get cancelled. <clears throat> so when, once I arrived uh, in Kauai, I found it, it was indeed uh, cancelled. They tried so hard not to cancel it because they know you've invested so much. 
And I spent a week, well, actually the first three days preparing for a hurricane, which I've never done before because we don't really get hurricanes on the West Coast. So that was an interesting experience because you also have the tsunamis that come with the hurricane and, and stuff like that. So getting all of that ready. But the other thing that I did was a, um, we wanted to have a cultural experience while we were there. So we were cleaning a mangrove. And the mangrove is... Um, it's an invasive species in Hawaii. It was brought over, I, I don't know how long ago, but it was brought over to hold the land up so it wouldn't fall into the water. I don't know the technical terms. And um, it just overtook the riverbanks. And now the rivers are getting more and more narrow all the time. So we were clearing the mangrove, basically cutting down a forest and carrying it uh, to another place. And I wrecked my shoulder. So... Yeah, I know. I'm like, okay, another three weeks and I've got to swim. So that's where it happened. Um, so lesson to Susan, if you're swimming 70K, don't clear a mangrove three weeks before. <laughs> it's not a good idea. I was in a lot of pain. My shoulder was inflamed. I couldn't lift my arm more than 20 degrees. And I thought, I've blown the swim. And I had in my head, uh, you're not going to be swimming. But I still enjoyed being in Kauai. I thought, I'm here. It doesn't matter what you do, what you don't do. Just enjoy yourself. Live in the moment. I knew from last year how to rehabilitate my arm. It was a similar injury to something I had had before. So I did everything that I could. Uh, I went out in the ocean and I did some underwater exercise because I didn't have the weight of my arm. I was able to keep it moving. And uh, took a lot of Advil. I think that's what they were. And did a lot of ice heat therapy and things like that. And when I got back, I went into physio and had active release. And thank goodness um, she was able to get it to a place. My physiotherapist, Sandy Wilson, is fa fantastic. It's not, uh, I can't fix you, Susan. It's what's the date of your event so we can get you ready for it. And I, it, she is amazing. She understands how important these things are to people. So it's let's get you through the event and then we can do the longer term stuff after. So I went to see her. She fixed me up uh, within two sessions, and I had one last... I swam twice before my 70K swim. I missed a month of swimming, basically, because of all the activities that had gone on and one or two big swims before. So I, by the time I got to the 70K, I thought, I'm not going to be able to do this. Like, and, and I got into this very negative space, which is unlike me. Uh, but I thought, this is going to be hard. It's going to hurt. And I work with um, this very uh, amazing woman who um, does a lot of spiritual work and she, she does Reiki, she does acupressure, different things like that. And she heard me talking and she said, you know, Susan, if you keep this attitude, like if you think it's going to be hard, you're right, it will. And you have to go into it thinking it's going to be easy, you're going to have a great time, you're going to feel relaxed you're strong, you can do it. And she completely shifted my head. She was absolutely right that I needed to switch gears. And uh, I went to see her in her studio. Her name's Nikki Hughes, and she saved me. She really did. She did Reiki, uh, which I'd never had done before. It was some amazing energy healing. Like just, I could feel the heat radiating uh, from her. She did some acupressure on the shoulder that was affected. Not a lot because she didn't want to interfere with what my physio was doing, but enough just to just to some, provide it with some love. 
And then she did some other things uh, as well, just to help shift my my energy and my mind and my my things like that. And this was all new to me. I had never had anything like this done before, but I absolutely will go and see her before every big swim uh, that I do in my life. Uh, she just really helped me focus in and, and get to that place of it's going to be easy and comfortable and you'll be fine. Wow. wow. So, yeah. yeah. That makes so me I'm, think of that Henry Ford saying, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and I knew she was right when she said that to me. I knew she was absolutely right. I needed somebody to kick me in the pants and say, you know, smarten up. You can do this. Just relax. And that's what she did. Sounds like you do well with kicks in the pants, eh? You know? Yeah, it seems to. Yeah, I'm a bit stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently being stubborn is part of how you swim 70K. So, no kidding. So let's yeah, talk about yeah. that. So that was amazing. Like it really was uh, just this incredible journey from beginning to end. Um, the most touching thing I heard um, after was we put a little video clip of the finish up. And my mother said, can you see all the love around you? Like it's amazing to see all that love around you. And I think of all of the things that I ever get out of any of these swims that I do, um, particularly the long ones that are local, is the amount of support that we get and genuine love from people around us that are trying to help us succeed and ultimately do. So on August 22nd, which was a Saturday, I headed up for Cowichan Lake with my partner Ray, a few kayaks on the top of our car, and uh, we headed to the Lakeview campsite and met up with a bunch of other people that Alex, who Alex Cape, who swam with me, my beautiful swim partner, uh, Len Martel, who coordinated all of this swim for us, who did a fantastic job, and then a bunch of swimmers and paddlers and observers. And uh, we went down to the beach, got some kids in boats, and jumped in the water and started swimming. Uh, we left Lakeview at about 2.33 o'clock in the afternoon and made our way down towards Gordon Bay and then to the end of the lake uh, for the first 35 kilometers. So it took us around 33, uh, 32 to 33 hours. So we were swimming overnight. Um, so I'll, just, I'll talk about different parts of the swim as I remember them. <clears throat> Pardon me. So the first part was through some, well, we had some good wavy water. And we had some of a good a good amount of the Victoria Masters Swim Club in with us, which was really nice. They were swimming beside and behind and had a really good friend from Salt Spring Island, Jill Schultz, um, come over. I wasn't expecting her to be there. She just showed up out of the blue and said, hey, can I jump in and swim with you? And I'm like, yeah, come on. So that was pretty neat. Um, but we were in some good wavy water and that that's always fun to see pool swimmers in wavy water because they're not really accustomed to that so I think they had fun for the first 10 minutes and then thought no I'm I need to get out of here um, so we continued on and then we headed up uh, into a deeper part of the lake and it started getting dark and that was exciting for me because I've never done a night swim before where I've been out that long in the night and this guy's in Cowichan um, which I'm sure is similar in Seashell they're just packed with stars the entire thing is a blanket of stars and you see shooting stars all night and it's just amazing. So I was looking forward to things getting darker and I thought, well, this is going to be fun. <laughs> we make continue to make our way up and I had, um, it started to get dark and I had a crew change. We changed our crew every six to eight hours as to not burn them out. 
uh, they are responsible for our safety, so it's important that they're completely alert. And uh, a friend who does open uh, the ocean canoe, the outrigger canoe with me, jumped in the as one of the kayakers, uh, Claire Skillen, and I just immediately smiled. I was so I hadn't seen her in months, and I thought, man, this is fabulous that you're doing this with me. And I wanted her there at night because of her experience. I thought I need somebody who's competent in the boat and not going to flip out in the middle of the night because if I do, I need her to take care of me. And then I had Jen Alexander, who's from the East Coast and has swam uh, the Confederation Bridge route, uh, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island a few times, and done a lot of open water observing. So she was also in the boat. So we started making, Alex was about half an hour ahead of me at this point. <clears throat> She's a little bit younger, maybe 15 years. And... Uh, <laughs> um, a little bit, yeah, and she's she's she is faster than I am, and we kind of knew that we would separate. So we, we start making our way down, and it's getting darker and darker, and I'm fine. But then it gets pitch dark, and this is where the motion sickness kicks in once again. Uh, when you're swimming in the dark, you have no sense of what direction you're going or whether you're up or down. And uh, you see dark, and then you see a little light on your boat. So it's dark, light dark light and you get very disoriented it was completely comfortable beside the boat I felt safe but eventually my stomach completely seized on me and I couldn't take any food in um, the, the way that we work the swim is we stop every 30 minutes and we have to have some type of fuel we need to bring in about 300 calories an hour in order to make it through that's the most your body can um, process within any given hour so that's your target is and, around and what is it that you're taking in because i would imagine it would have to be something that's assimilated really quickly quickly yeah um so it varies i would change mine every half an hour i had four different things i was working with I, and, and it is very challenging for me being a vegan to find the right things um Although Vega products uh, are qu quite good uh, for that. So I would have a pre-workout drink, uh, which I thought, well, I'm doing a lot of workouts, so we'll keep drinking pre-workout ones. And I had electrolytes. I had peanut butter sandwiches that had some uh, maca in them to just and some green tea just to, for the caffeine, just to boost me up a little bit. Like a lot of stuff with antioxidants and things like that and things to bring down inflammation. <clears throat> and what else did I have? Um, I had some Vega bars if I needed to switch. I had cantaloupe, which I love if I need something fresh. Uh, and then I had gel packs, which I diluted. I, I put them in uh, water. Um, but all of these things, you combine them, and every half an hour on your stomach, they start taking a toll after a while. I'm not used to eating every half an hour. And gel packs are quite strong, even when they're diluted with water. I also had green tea with maca or uh, matcha in it, uh, the, or ginger tea, sorry. The ginger tea was to help settle my stomach, and I had some homeopathic remedies for my stomach as well, uh, just in case I did get sick. So we did that. Um, I, I, I did get sick. I didn't throw up or anything like that, thank goodness, because uh, I had to swim back the next day. I wouldn't want to run into what I had left behind. Um, and they... <laughs> I think about these things along the way. <clears throat> so I, I, they, I had to stop, and I just my crew knew that I, I said I can't eat anything else. My stomach's completely seized. Jen Alexander knew exactly what to do. She was brilliant. She had a little tube uh, which she could squeeze, and she put ginger ale in it, and she would chuck it to me as though it was a little baby seal every few minutes. 
and she reset my stomach. So I would drink the ginger ale and, and then I would swim 10 strokes. And she said, Susan, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do the ginger ale. You're going to swim 10 strokes. And we're going to do that for about an hour and it will reset your stomach. A nurse told me this. And I believed her. I thought, okay, let's do it. We're going to fall even farther behind Alex, but it's okay. We can do it. So we did. And within a two-hour period, my, uh, eventually I did more than 10 strokes. I would build it over time. Uh, eventually my stomach was reset. And I was able to swim again. And I, I was fine. I still wasn't eating a lot. But, you know, Jen had been watching what I had been eating. And she said, you've taken in enough calories. And I'm not even worried about that. You're fine. Uh, we can deal with the eating tomorrow morning. Let's just keep you going. Plus, the ginger ale does have, like, sugar in it. So that's enough to also um, help you along the way. So we, we kept going. And then by, um, I think it was about 5 o'clock in the morning, we hit Heather uh, campsite, which was the end of the lake. And I was greeted by uh, my, my partner, Ray, in a kayak, and a friend, Bill, who swam the English Channel with me. And they were going to take me back in the other direction for a portion of the swim. Uh, so we were headed to a place called Kaikus. And your, your feet never touched bottom the entire time? My feet never touched bottom the entire time. I never touched a boat, uh, wow. anything like that. I did enjoy the sickness because it allowed me to stargaze even more. That's my <laughs> story. No, there's a I, song about that. Yes. Always look on the bright side. There you go. <laughs> Good old Monty so, Python song. So, yeah. So I um, so I thoroughly enjoyed the couch and lakes uh, skies that night. But, yeah, we, we headed back. Uh, and I had an, another a, a safety person with me by the name of Brad. And all the time this is going on, we have an escort boat with us as well um, that is motorized in case anything happens and can bring us back to shore quickly if needed. So we, we start heading towards Kaikus. Uh, Bill had <coughs> pardon, never swam more than two, two hours straight in his life. Well, that day he swam seven. Wow. I know. I was almost in tears. I just thought, I wanted to hug him, but I knew if I did, I would get disqualified, so I couldn't. So next time I see him, he's getting a big hug from me. I, I was hug. so proud, so proud of him. He was so thrilled. When he left me, he said, okay, I'm going to eat breakfast and lunch right now. <laughs> I'll see you later, Susan. Um, but he was so thrilled. And I said to him, you know, you just qualified for a solo for the English Channel, except for the temperature. You've done the time. And I don't think he'd ever thought that he could do that much swimming. So he's a whole new swimmer now. And um, I, knowing that that happened with somebody, it, that, that is a joy for me, that somebody else pushed beyond uh, what they can normally do. So we, we continued oh, during this time um, from Heather to Kaikus. I did have a little incident where I fell asleep on the water twice. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought, I'm wet. That doesn't seem that like be? a possibility. I know. But in the early morning, I was very tired and I was just swimming along. And all of a sudden I went, whoa, wait a minute. I think I just fell asleep because I lost consciousness for a minute. And I thought, okay, that is not very good. Um, let's swim some more and see what happens. And it happened again. And it really scared me. So I alerted Brad, who was the observer, and I said, you're going to need to let our escort boat know that you have a medical issue, that I've lost, like I've fallen asleep twice. And if it continues to happen, you're going to have to pull me from the water. Because I didn't know how much he knew and how much he didn't. 
you know, and he said he'd keep me safe and not to worry. And I thought, well, that's great. However, like I'm pretty freaked right now. Um, so we, we just, I said, I think what I'd like is some cantaloupe because of the refreshing, the sugar, things like that, just to help me feel a bit more refreshed. So they got me some of that and it, it, it actually worked. I woke up, I didn't fall asleep again. So we, um, yeah, and that was how Bill and I were able to get to Kaikus was on a cantaloupe. Um, so that was quite lovely. <clears throat> cantaloupe's such a lovely fruit. It really is quite nice. It has a nice ring to it when you say it's, it too. It does. Yeah. Cantaloupe. <laughs> um, and then after Kaikus, I uh, had a new crew come in, uh, Rod Carmichael and Carol Pilo. Uh, Carol Pilon actually started out the uh, swim with me as well. And these are both Victoria masters who know me quite well. We've gone to Hawaii together a few times and stuff. And it, it's just so nice to have people that you know and trust beside you. And um, I, I just felt so comfortable. I was watching the two of them interact um, and talk to one another. And they were looking at the scenery and stuff like that. And it was just such a nice thing to see while I was swimming. They were watching me as well. But it does get boring after a while to watch somebody swim for that many hours. Uh, so we went up even further, and then uh, Claire and, and um, Jen rejoined me. They did a, a cruise shift uh, switch. Just before that, we hit some pretty big waves. We were in four to five foot waves um, just off the narrows. You know, and, and I knew, thank goodness I do have a paddling background. Uh, I kind of know what's going to happen to the water and how it's going to shift and when it's going to change. And... I know when you get to a point, uh, any point, it's always going to be worse before it gets better until you get around the corner. You just got to get around the corner. So I knew that these waves would eventually die down and just, you know, go with them and make your way through them. And on the other side, you'll be fine because the, the course actually changes direction and uh, you don't have as long a fetch. So <clears throat> we made our way up and then the, the cruise shift happened and Claire, uh, who has this incredible amount of paddling experience as a stern knows how to hop on a wave and she had me hop on waves right beside her and for about an hour I was surfing uh, waves and my speed it, it lifted my spirits because I could feel the water moving me and I just took off wow. and was that sprinting. Must be, must be liberating too. It was absolutely I've already done about 55 kilometers and all of a sudden I bust out with this sprint in the middle of uh, nowhere <laughs> um, but it, it was just I knew exactly what she was doing and I thought this is fabulous like just keep me surfing these waves because it feels so fantastic to do it um, but you know eventually that came to an end and we had to turn around the corner uh, I'm at about 60 kilometers at this point and it's you can feel the sun starting to come down again every now and again I would look at my feet and my hands and they were completely white and wrinkled and I thought oh that's kind of cool uh, little did I know I had a hypothermia oh no my crew was watching the whole time but I just looked at them and I thought that's like being in a bathtub for a week like they've never looked like that before um, and, and they, and Jen Alexander would do things without me knowing. She'd say, oh, show me your feet again. Cause they look so cool. Let me see. And she, what she was doing was checking on me to see if it had gotten worse. Now, it's not too bad with your feet and your hands, but once it moves into your arms and other parts of your body, then you know, you're in trouble. I wasn't shivering, so they were okay. And I was coherent and I had, oh, and, and at that point I just started hallucinating. 
So I reported that to them too. We were swimming along and all of a sudden the rocks all started moving underwater with out having legs. I don't know how they got up and moved around, but they did. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's not very good. The rocks are moving and they shouldn't be. Um, but at least you so were conscious enough to, to I was, that. absolutely. And I knew that hallucination was a possibility. So when it happened, I just thought, oh, you're hallucinating. Just keep swimming. Um, but I always reported it to my crew. I wanted to make sure that they knew what was going on. Uh, so we start making down uh, our way down the last leg, the last arm, over towards uh, the Forestry Research Centre and eventually down to the Education Centre and the finish line. And it's getting darker and darker as we go. And along the way, before it got too dark, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my friend Johnny Greaves says, Hey, Susan, can I jump in with you? And he jumped off his kayak and he started swimming with me. And I thought, this is fantastic. We picked up another swimmer along the way. And I don't know if he knew, but he was in for a good 5K swim. Um, <laughs> and I was moving at that point, too. So I wanted to get in. I was moving faster. I had a great rhythm going. My stroke count was exactly the same at the end as it was at the beginning. And my speed was faster at the end than it was at the beginning. Well, you're so, negative splitting. I was. Very I'm negative cool. split a 70K swim. That's, yeah, I hadn't <laughs> thought of that before. So, um, Johnny, we were stopping every 15 minutes to half an hour because I said, let's tr do every 15 for now. I don't, I don't want to, I want to be able to keep up the rate, stop for 30 seconds and then do another 15 minutes rather than do a half an hour and stop for four minutes. And, uh, Johnny's like, Susan, I can't keep up with you. You got to slow down. <laughs> so I thought, well, that's pretty good. I kind of like that. And let me go even faster and make him feel it more. Um, <laughs> So we had a lot of fun joking around about that. Uh, it, it, then as it got darker out, my hallucinations got quite frightening. So I would I, be swimming. We're in the water for about 30 hours at this point, And uh, I would stop and all of a sudden the, the water would, um, almost like a portion of it would disappear in front of me. And there would be more on the other side. It would have this big dip in it, although there were no waves. And on the other side of the that big dip, there was a cluster of, the first time I saw it, it looked like nuns, but all white, and they were like statue nuns. So white statues of nuns that moved. That must have been I thought, creepy. Well, that's kind of weird. Yeah. I thought, you know, but I think about my background and the way that I was raised, I'm not surprised that I had that particular vision. Um, it's, you know, just when you think about your own history and the things that you grew up around and that, that is part of my, my history as a person. So I thought that is a little bit weird. I was glad it was nuns. It could have been worse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it did get there. Um, the next time I stopped, they were devilish things. Oh. And I couldn't tell they, whether they were saying come or they were taunting me and stopping me. It was, you have to get past these things in order to finish your swim was part of what was going on. You've got to get past this. So I thought, oh, okay, I, that one I really didn't like, Let, I'm, but I'm hallucinating. I'm aware that I'm hallucinating. I told my crew, I didn't tell them what I was hallucinating because I, you know, I was too freaked out by it. I just said, it's rocks. I see rock people. And it's the only time I lied to my crew. And then we went a little bit further and it happened again. And I went, okay, this is really not cool. I don't like this. It's too, um, it's becoming very personal, the hallucinations. I thought, am I dying and being delivered? Like, is that what's going on? Like, what is going on here? 
um, I don't think I'm going to stop anymore. I'm just going to swim right to the end because I don't want to see these things. And they only seem to happen when I stop. And some of it is the light is playing tricks on your eyes and stuff like that, right? You're, you're not seeing properly. And then on top of it, you're so tired. So for the last three kilometers, I just swam. And if I did have to stop, I wouldn't look up. I'd look to the side at my crew and I wouldn't look to see how much farther I had to go. Or if I did, I knew I'd see that and I would turn quickly. So we, we're, we're getting closer. <clears throat> a few more people jump in with me, some of the Vic Masters, which was fantastic to bring me into the shore. It's completely dark out. And then all of a sudden in front of me, I see all this light. So you imagine you've had all these visions. <laughs> and <laughs> And you see, the kids had little sparklers out on the dock to guide me in and stuff. And <clears throat> I get right to the place or right before the place where I'm supposed to go in. And somebody goes, okay, Susan, swim into the light. Swim into the light. And I'm like, no, I'm not swimming into the light. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Don't say that. Um, and at first they thought it was a white light, but it was a blue light. And then when I found it, it was a blue light. I went, okay, I can swim into the blue light. That's not a problem. <laughs> So, yeah, you were you were not sure if you were dying, and somebody saying swim into the light. That's yeah, yeah. I so get it. it. You know, you you just you were kind of going nuts here, and uh, I knew I wasn't, but at the same time, I thought you know this is going to make a really good story because this is one weird hallucination. Um, so I I swam towards a blue light, and my we had to go through log booms. Alex and I, Alex arrived about a half an hour before me. Um, and there was a chain that held them together. So my friend Lauren, thank goodness, was right there by the log booms and called me and said, Susan, come through here and swim up to Len. Uh, so I swam up the shore to my friend Len and I stumbled out of the water. I was coming up uh, over a bunch of rocks and stuff and it was very hard to walk, but I just touched land, completely exited the water and then they were able to help me but they couldn't help me until I was 100% out of the water walking on land and I just fell on onto him, the poor guy, because uh, I'm not a tiny little thing so that must have been hard for him. Um, and then the medics grabbed me and walked me over to a chair where they, um, you know, they asked me, where are you? Just to make sure I was coherent and it checked uh, a whole bunch of things and and began to treat me for hypothermia and exhaustion. And that was my swim. Wow. And what was your equilibrium like when you first got out of the water? It was very hard to walk. Like I, I did say to the, the medic, uh, thank goodness you're here because I couldn't walk without you. I had one person on either side of me. There was no way. And then they sat me down um, and then I had to get up and, and basically get naked um, because of the hypothermia treatment. Um, I was able to stand up, but if I moved forward or backward, I would fall. And actually, I still am having balance issues. Well, like I can't, yeah. I can't stand on one leg. It's very upsetting. I normally stand on one leg through it. <laughs> no, I just noticed if I try to stand on one leg to reach over for something or something like that, I, I will lose my balance pretty quickly. So yeah. I'm just kind of watching that right now. I can imagine that, you know, 33 hours in the water in a horizontal position would have some kind of a prolonged effect on your yep. equilibrium. Yeah, plus the water in your ears and things exactly. like that. Exactly, yeah. And then the loss of blood in your feet. You kind of have no feeling left in your feet. There's no circulation in there anymore. <clears throat> so that was the other thing was that I couldn't really feel my feet. 
And when we first got on this cold call, the first thing I noticed, and uh, I always have to mention this to listeners, is that you and I are on video Skype right now. Yeah. The first thing I noticed is that you have this bandage on your neck, and I asked you what that's all about. Maybe yeah. You can share share what else happened. Yeah. So that is known as the bathing suit hickey. Uh, <laughs> And I, just I don't think it's a hickey. I think it's a gouge. <laughs> uh, I have a lot of chafe. So for people who wear wetsuits, they often get chafe. Uh, when you swim that much uh, volume with a bathing suit, your bathing suit strap just keeps rubbing up and down, up and down. And also your bathing cap pulls the little hairs out on the back of your neck and keeps rubbing and rubbing. Uh, so it became almost like a second degree burn over a very large portion of the side that I breathe on, my left side. I had some on my right side as well, and I also have some on my back where my glow sticks were. When we swam at night, we had a little red beacon on our bathing cap and glow sticks on our back, and the glow sticks kept bumping up and down throughout the entire swim and just put a little hole uh, in my back where they sat. Ouch. Yeah, that wasn't very fun either. When I figured it out, I just repositioned the glow sticks and and, uh, things seemed to work out after that. But the bathing suit chafe, I had taken my strap down halfway through the swim because I could tell. But what I didn't realize was that my bathing cap was also causing, it's just the style of my stroke, my bathing cap was also causing some of the problem. Okay, now I have a question that I'm really curious. I mean, you do this stuff with very little fanfare. Yeah. So... What is your why? What is it that drives you to to do these distances, to do these these epic self-created events? Yeah, so I think there's a few things, Deb. One is um, I do believe that for somebody like myself, I need a goal. I need something to focus. Like I need to be healthy in order to manage my MS. That's number one. Just going to the gym or going to the gym, I shouldn't say just because going to the gym is a huge thing for people. Going to the gym for me without an end goal of an event won't work. I'll get bored. But if I have a program and a focus, I'll continue to go. So one reason to have any type of event, whether it's a 200 butterfly or a 70K swim or a 10K swim, whatever it is, is I develop a program at the beginning of the year and it gives me something to follow and that keeps me fit and healthy, which ultimately means my MS stays in the background. Uh, and I can continue to work and do all the other things that that I do. So that's the number one reason is if I want to live a happy, healthy life, I have to have goals. Uh, The other reason I do it and I am connected into the MS community is I want people with MS and other diseases to not be a victim like I was the first 10 years and to um, find a goal and work towards that goal. So some of it is they look at me doing these crazy swims and it kind of, for some people, gives them the courage or the strength to get out there and just maybe get in the water and try swimming or try doing an aquafit class. It doesn't matter to me what it is. Everybody's what's hard is different. Mm -hmm. For some people they look at, I can never do a 70K swim. Not asking that, I'm asking people to love themselves enough that they get out there and they just say, you know what, I don't want to be a victim. I love myself. I want to live a long, happy, healthy life. Let me take a part in how that happens and let me try and be active and fit. Mm. So, you know, and I've been lucky that I do have some media that helps me get that message out. This year was kind of nice. Uh, there's an A&W campaign where they do cruising for MS. You buy a teen burger and a dollar goes to the MS society. Um, being a vegan, I'm not going to do that. 
but I'm happy that they're donating money um, and they're bringing awareness. And they they did ask me to come in and speak about what I was doing, why I was doing it, and bring awareness directly to the MS community. Um, I also run an MS swim group. I've gotten become known enough on Vancouver Island where people have asked me to help them. And I said, okay, well, let's just get a swim group going on Sundays. And there's a group of people that have MS um, that meet up once a week and we get in the water together. Some swim, some walk in the water, it depends. And that's been a, a really a life-altering experience. This is something that I haven't told you about, but one of the women in the group, when she first started, couldn't walk at all. She's in a wheelchair, wheelchair user, and she... Um, got in at the pool, we sat her on the stairs, and I just had her do leg lifts, and she couldn't do it, get her in the pool, try to walk, and she says to me, it's not working. She now walks up to 100 meters in the water. Oh my gosh, So, wow. you know, when I do a swim like this, I, I do get some media, it's not for the media that I do it, uh, it's so the media can connect me with people like that, and I can work with that person and that person works with me because I learned from them too. Uh, when I first uh, was diagnosed, I avoided my own community. I didn't want to know about my community, my community of people with MS. Uh, and I've since connected with a lot of them and I'm watching a lot of people in Vancouver Island in particular because that's where I live with MS <clears throat> start take more responsibility for their own health and do things. I got a note from somebody today. She watched my video online. Uh, she's somebody that's in one of my swim groups, and she's really had a tough go of it this year. And she said, you know, she cried when she saw the finish, and it gave her the courage to get out there and paddle in an, OC, an ocean canoe one for the first time in two years. She was only out for 40 minutes, and I thought, 40 minutes? Are you kidding me? That's a huge amount of time. Um, but it was her first time in two years and she was committed to going back out on Friday. And thank you, Susan, for sharing your story. Uh, I've had other people from around the world because I tweet. Um, I, I have a lot of tweet agentships with people. And uh, a lot of them in the MS community have contacted me and said, you know what, now I'm doing this because I see somebody else's and I think I should try to do it too. So. Oh, fantastic. So, so, so hence, hence the reason for the swims. And uh, the media this year, we managed to, uh, Alex and I, we were on Global TV, CTV, plus some of the major newspapers. So, <clears throat> And they were all very good at getting that message across, the message that I was hoping they would get across about fitness and health. And when you have MS, if you can, exercise, and in particular, swim. Yes. It's a really good place to be. That's fantastic. Well, I mean, I, I think it's really you're inspirational to those of us who don't have MS or don't, oh, thank you. don't battle any of these physical ills. But you know, like uh, the fact that you're such an inspiration to the MS community is, is really beautiful to actually hear. And I'm really grateful that I can help get this well, message thank you. out there yeah, too. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's talk a little bit more about M MS because I think that many of us, myself included, probably have a basic idea of what MS is. But if yeah. you could explain a little bit more uh, in a little more detail what it's like living with it and what it actually is. Okay. That would be I, great. Yeah, I can try. Um, basically, we don't, we don't know. Uh, we don't know what causes multiple sclerosis. We don't know how to cure it, um, and we don't know how to treat it. We know how to treat the symptoms. Um, 
it's it's different for everyone. So my particular diagnosis, I went blind in my left eye twice. And after that, I had an MRI and they found several lesions on my brain. And that was what confirmed the diagnosis was the lesions on the brain. The other symptoms that I had was uh, my feet and my hands would go numb. I'd have a zipper up my spine if I bent uh, my head forward. Uh, I drop dishes and other things all the time. I walk into walls. Sometimes I have cognitive issues where my brain just stops. It doesn't work. And I'm like, oh, what was I doing? And now, apparently that happens with age too, but I'm in denial. I'd rather think it was CMS. Um, <laughs> uh, for some people, there's incontinence. Some people are paralyzed. Um, it's, it's just so all over the map. Uh, some people have uh, relapsing remitting, which is the type of MS that I have. I now call it MS light because I've managed to get to a place where it's not a massive issue. It's still an issue, but um, I, I manage. I live in harmony with my MS, we'll say. Um, but some people have very progressive. So if you're diagnosed at a young age or over 40 or 50, it tends to be very rapid onset. And those are the people that you typically see in wheelchairs um, and who have a lot of mobility problems. The problems that you have have a lot to do with where the lesion sits in your brain, apparently but we don't know. And what happens is when you have an attack is the uh, coating on your nerves wears off and then the wires get crossed. So you just think of electrical wires. You have two things inside your house sitting side by each and the wire wears off and those, wire, those wires touch. Uh, both pieces of equipment are going to fail. So that's kind of... Uh, what happens when you when you have an attack? So for myself, when my eye when I went blind, my optic nerve became extremely inflamed. The coating started coming off, and uh, that was it, I couldn't see because of the inflammation, and eventually lost some vision in it because I had permanent nerve damage. So, so there is a large group of people like myself that were diagnosed at about the age of thirty. And with that particular group, I personally believe, I have no scientific proof, that if you eat properly and you um, exercise and stay fit, you're going to have a much healthier life than if you didn't do those things. Now, that kind of makes sense. It's a bit of a no-brainer. Um, so, yeah, so my life is, I don't know, I could wake up the next day and not be able to see, but I do all kinds of things to manage that. Or I could, I have a sister with MS, she uh, became paralyzed on one side, uh, so her symptoms are quite different. They, they say it's not genetic, but we, we don't really know whether it is or it isn't. Um, the other thing is they say it's an autoimmune disease. I believe it's a disease of inflammation. So one of the things that I've done is I've, changed my diet to veganism to help manage the MS. Um, also my energy levels. I, when I first started swimming, I thought I'm never going to be able to do this without some kind of help. And I read a book by Brendan Brazier, who was one of Canada's top Ironmen, uh, who uh, or he was a triathlete, and he looked at the differences between what those who win and those who don't in these events. And he said the training programs are the same, the difference is the diet. And he became a vegetarian and eventually a vegan and found that as a vegan, you have more energy 
because you're not using energy to digest your turkey, we'll say, or your steak or whatever the case might be. So he was able to train harder uh, than other people. So I read that and I went, okay, well, let me see if that helps me with my MS. And it did. I had a, immediately had an energy boost. The other thing I did was I learned about the raw food diet. And that one, I was like, whoa, where is all this energy coming from? This is out of control. Um, so I did that for a while too when I, this, when I first started swimming just to get me over the, the edge. Um, but the more I learned about veganism and MS, um, eventually I came to understand that things like dairy products cause inflammation in your body. Uh, and it, from somebody like myself, I need to minimize inflammation because my, when, my, when my nerves become inflamed, that's when I start having the, 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 the wiring problem with my nerves. So I ended up staying a vegan, um, not just because of the energy levels, but also because of what it does for me from an inf inflammation point of view. So, yeah. And I think that that's really important to note for everybody too. It doesn't matter whether you have MS, you know, meat and dairy causes inflammation, period. Yeah. End of story. It, yeah, exactly. Um, the other thing that I found that's been interesting with myself, and I believe it's from being a vegan, is because uh, you notice the, um, there's a, a sense of peace and tranquility within me, a calmness. Um, I think that's also from being a vegan. Uh, my tolerance for violence is, I just don't have it anymore. I can't watch violent TV or anything like that. Um, and just a lot calmer inside. And I think a lot of that also, I think, um, you know, you are what you eat. Exactly. And um, I, I think it's also affected my personality. And not that I had a bad personality before. I was, I was a pretty cool girl. But um, in, a, in a very positive way in that I'm able to stay calm because being calm is part of how I manage my disease as well. If I get too stressed out, then I'll have an... It's one of the things that can t trigger an attack. And so you think about swimming, swimming 70 kilometers. You don't want to get stressed out in the middle of that either. <laughs> you want to stay calm. Especially so, when you're hallucinating. That's right. Um, so I think it's also it also helps just w with you spiritually. Um, no I totally for that, but I do believe that's part of what's happened with me. Well, you know that you're not going to get any kind of uh, disagreement from me. Yay! Yeah, as a lifelong, pretty well lifelong vegan. But anyway, yeah. yeah I, I, what I personally believe is that, uh, I mean, even if you look at um, all of the ancient traditions, yogic traditions, Buddhist. Uh, they all were vegans, vegetarians. Yeah. And I really do believe that that's when we embrace that lifestyle, because it's more than just a way of eating. It really is a lifestyle. It's congruent with who we are spiritually Yeah, because we really are not inherently violent beings. And yeah. when we put, you know, the vibrational energy of violence into ourselves how can we not feel violent ourselves you know even exactly. with our thoughts right yeah so that's really cool thank you for sharing that i was going to no, ask no you about that because i noticed yeah. on your blog and you have been mentioning it a few times about the vegan but you just launched right into it so i don't need to even yay ask you about <laughs> that one yeah it's really it's it's become a very important part i mean it is hard when i'm traveling and stuff england as a vegan was brutal oh, yeah um, eat a lot of pickled went, foods yeah well, when I went to the cafe in Dover, Dover's a really small town, uh, they had one cafe that I thought, oh, you have good coffee. Great. It's real. You have an espresso machine and everything. Um, I went and I said, would you be able to make me a sandwich, but without the cheese and without the meat? 
And he just looked at me. He goes, you mean you want a salad sandwich? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's exactly what I want. No mayonnaise, nothing, just salad in there. Um, but everywhere I went, yeah, thank goodness they had a lot of East Indian food because often you can find vegan food that's East Indian. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, it was quite funny. They He had never met a vegan in his life. He uh, had no clue what, what the heck was wrong with me. He just thought, what is, this is wrong. <laughs> And I need to get you to eat pig before you leave. And I thought, yeah, that's not going to happen there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> a salad sandwich. That's so yeah. funny. Yeah. Well, okay, I'm really curious, too. This is another, uh, and I'm going back to the swimming. What is it, like, wh- how do you train for this sort of thing? Uh, like, I know, I mean, training for an Ironman, I know, I know how it t- takes its toll on it, on your body. Yeah. It's just, yeah. you know, it, even with the, periodiza- the periodization, you know, but how do you do this with just swimming alone? Yeah, so what I do the first half of the year up until December, maybe all the way to February, is my training is swimming, weightlifting, and spinning. So I try to vary it so I don't get bored. Uh, And I'm also aware of the effect of chlorine on my breathing and my body. I do have a bit of a chlorine cough, which you're you're hearing a bit. Um, So it's all about building up that base and making sure that I have enough strength and power this year I focused a lot on my legs <clears throat> and building more power in my legs to make sure that I would be able to get through the swim. So a lot of uh, weightlifting with my legs. Then come February, I switch over to pool swimming and stick mainly to that. And Saturday and Sunday are long swim days. So I started with 10K on Saturday, 10K on Sunday. And then Monday to Friday, I'm doing morning and night swims on some of the days. And okay, eventually, I, I have a question. Do you yeah. do this in the pool in, I, over the winter? I do it in the pool over the winter, yeah, which is hard. 10K in the pool. Yeah, thank Whoa. goodness it's a 50 meter pool. <laughs> it's still. Thank goodness. <laughs> and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes, what I, well, I amuse myself by watching other swimmers. Um, we don't need them to know that. But anyway. Uh, looking at their technique and things like that. And, oh, I might want to talk to them about that after. <laughs> um, or sometimes I'll just do a one-kilometer kick and I'll put my my uh, my iPod on. I have a waterproof iPod that I'll, that I'll wear and just listen to music and zone out. Spend a lot of time with myself, a lot of time uh, thinking and meditating in the water because of the volume. Eventually, the swims on the weekend move up to 15 and 20 kilometers, and Alex and I moved into the lake. So we would swim on Monday, or Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then on the weekends, we were swimming 20K each of the days. So, And that would have been at Thetis, which was great. Although by the end of the summer, Thetis Lake became too small for us, and we were tired of um, going around it. We needed a bigger lake. We needed something a little bit different. That's incredible. You know, I mean, I grew up a swimmer. I've been a lifelong swimmer, competitive swimmer, master swimmer, triathlete. And I'm at the stage now where I don't need, um, you know, when you were talking about being goal oriented, I don't need that anymore. I feel like after Ironman, well, a lot of things shifted for me, but now I'm just a more of a fitness swimmer. But I find that I can only get out there three times a week before and I'm usually swimming about 4K each time. So I'm swimming on average about 12K yeah. per week. And I just can't, I can't do it anymore. I mean, as an age group swimmer, I was easily swimming six, seven days a week, you know, easily four five K constantly that time. But I don't know mentally, 
I can't handle it. So I'm just like, how do you do it mentally? Well, one thing is I am um, inherently shy and introverted, which a lot of people don't know. They assume the opposite of me because I can speak when I'm in public. Uh, And I'm usually chipper and joking around and all of that stuff. But my preferred uh, place of being is an internal one. Uh, I am a very internal person. I spend a lot of time alone. So it's a way for me, when I'm in the lake, I don't hear ambulances. I don't hear people yelling at one another. I don't hear any crying. I don't hear any, you know, any police cars. There's no violence. What I hear is me swimming and breathing. And it becomes very rhythmic. And it, it is a place to meditate and to bring me to a place of calmness. Um, I see there's a lot of things in the world that I'm very uncomfortable with and that cause me a lot of pain uh, on a personal level that I don't really talk to people about. And I'm sure other people feel the same way about them, but they're things that we have to put up with in order to survive in the world or, well, not necessarily put up with, but they're there. And um, so it's a, a place where I can get away from all of that and, and deal with it in, in a way that I'm comfortable. So that's part of why I think I'm able to swim those long, long swims. That's amazing. I mean, I, I totally get it, what you're talking about, uh, that inner sanctuary and that peace that comes with swimming. Beautiful. Yeah. There is, there is something really, really powerfully connecting when it is just the rhythm of your body yep. that's unconscious now because we've developed our own strokes now, but also the, the breath and the movement. I yeah. find that I get an awful lot of inspiration when I'm swimming. Yes. And I think that's part of the reason why I can only tolerate 4K right now because I have so many things in my mind <laughs> that I want to write down. It's like, I've got a book here right now and I know I'm not going to remember yeah. when I'm in the change room. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can write an entire blog in my head while I'm swimming. <laughs> and, and do you remember uh, it? Well, I remember it, but I'm usually to- too tired to write it. Like this, <laughs> this year was a struggle for me with my blog because I was so tired all the time that I just didn't have the energy to write. And that's okay. Now I've stopped and I can go back and reflect on everything that happened and do some writing. But yeah, no, I remember. But if I have a problem with a person or there's a challenge at work that I need to work through, the water is a great place for me to figure it out because I'm able to do it in a way where I don't get emotional. Now, how about your shoulders too? Because I find that I'm um, now, like I said, I'm, I'm swimming three days a week. Sometimes I'm out four days a week. But I find that if I swim consecutive days, back-to-back days, I'm feeling a lot of fatigue in my shoulders. Now I've had a number of injuries yeah. from bike accidents and overtraining and stuff. And uh, plus I'm have to say that there's fewer years ahead of me than there are well we don't know that <laughs> that's true I could be I could be dead center who knows you could be but yeah recovery isn't quite what it used to be so yeah. so how do you deal with the fatigue are you finding that um, you don't really have recovery issues because you've been building up so you've been building a solid foundation all along Yeah, so there's a few things with that, too. I think, number one, uh, being a butterfly swimmer as a youth, built the shoulders. Like, I I do have, I've got massive shoulders, enough so that men in the gym ask me if I'm taking testosterone. So, (laughs) it's, it's, some of them will not work out beside me anymore. They walk away. Um, 
so that I think I've got the physique, the body. Uh, that that's what my body is built for. The other thing is I did build the base in the gym with the weights and things like that. I made sure that I did what I had to do. And then the other part is that this year I went to see a homeopath, uh, Lisa Rutherford. Um, she has been fabulous. And what she's done is she's put me on a bunch of remedies um, that she are custom made for me and some tablets. Uh, one of them I take is called Synergia and it's got something in it that helps with the joints and things like that. I can't, I don't know all the stuff that's in these things, but they work wonders. I do a lot of chlorella. Um, I, I use matcha a lot as well. Um, when we got closer to the swim, I didn't know this was going to happen. She had me use cinnamon as oh, well to help with inflammation. A, that's a really good anti-inflammatory. Yeah. So just, and ginger, like a lot of things like that, um, to help. And then st having special things after I swim to have me recover. So you might see me in the shower drinking, uh, you know, uh, a liter of almond uh, milk or something like that. Hmm. So I've really taken care to make sure that I'm eating the proper recovery foods and doing the things that I'm supposed to do after I have my workouts as well as um, having proper meals and stuff. Hmm. So yeah. it, it's, it's, you have to, when you do something like this, you, uh, you need help. I needed help. And extreme self-care, too. And extreme self-care. Um, and I knew I needed help. Uh, so I reached out and I found somebody, again, especially being a vegan, right? Like, um, for those who aren't, they grab a steak and, and they're good to go. Um, for those who are vegans, it's a lot harder to figure out what should I have. And I was immediately put on a very high-protein diet that had a lot of beans and legumes and things like that in it that also just really helped me um, build my body up to where it needed to be. What about fats? Because that was one of the things when I was training for Ironman as a vegan. Yeah. Um, my partner, Deb, was, was – I always felt hungry. And I would say – and she would ask me, what is it – that you feel like you need. And I said, I feel like I need protein because I just don't feel full, yeah. as, especially as the training load increased. And what she said is, what you're missing is not protein, it's fat. And as soon as she started adding more fat to my diet, I felt satiated and my energy levels actually yeah. started to increase. Yeah, so hunger is a sign that something is missing. It could be anything. At least that's what Brendan Brazier taught me. You're you're lacking a nutrient. So I had uh, for fat, I use Udo Udo's oil. Right. Okay. And um, that I put in my smoothies in the morning and things like that. Or towards just before the swim, eat more avocados. Right. Avocados are fabulous. I use olive oil um, as well. Uh, it, just different things like that. Not a, I'm not a a big nut fan. Um, I don't I don't know why, but if I mean I'll use nut butters or things like that, and and you're getting good fats from that. So so yeah, you're right. Like you do need the fat, um, but in my case, it, my problem was that I didn't have enough protein in my diet. Mm. Because I was eating more salads and things like that. I wasn't having a lot of legumes and um, we, we, we added all of that in. All the yummy stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I now love lentils. Me too. They're good. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's like our own personal fart machine. You, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Had to yeah. inject another little yeah. dose of 10-year-old humor there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they it's sure, all the fart machine. Exactly. They taste good. Okay. I just have a couple more questions. Um, I'm really curious to know with all of this ultra swimming that you're doing, what do you feel you've learned about yourself or how have you grown and expanded because of this? Cause there's no way that you can't not expand with all of this. Yeah. So I think I'm becoming who I'm meant to be. Um, I was raised to be active in my community and a helper. That's my family background. Um, you know, you help other people and, you and not to be a victim so those are things i i thrive when i'm in those environments and those are things that i've learned so an example of that is when we were swimming this i was in my last getting close to the last 10k and one of my kayakers flipped and my immediate instinct was to help that person to stop my swim help that person get them in the boat and I, my observer got very frustrated with me. She said, it's going to take you longer to finish. Somebody will come and help them, blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, slowed my pace down and I kept checking back. And I said to my observer, I said, is James back in the boat now? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, now we can finish this one. And I told her, I said, just so you know, if that happens again, like I need to know that everybody around me is safe, not just me. It, it can't just be me. So that was something that I learned about myself is that I need to be that person that's involved in the community. That's how I thrive. So myself being able to help other people with MS is how I help myself with MS. And I think a lot of people are like that. Helping others is part of how we help ourselves. Exactly. And then the, yeah, the other thing is that swimming is my, uh, I think my body was built for this type of swimming. And my body and my mind. I think it's the ideal sport for me. And I finally found it at almost 50. I'm one year away from 50. I finally found my sport and I want to keep doing it as long as I can. Because it's a way for me to uh, just, I'm just so comfortable and happy. And I didn't, I always thought I was more the competitive, the butterfly swimmer. And I, I'm still that person. But the endurance, the ultras, uh, things like that, those are the things that I really, I love. And I think there's a lot more out there for me to do. They may not be as long as swims, but there's a lot of beautiful swims, like swimming around Denman or Hornby Island. Uh, some of the some of the islands, maybe going parts of Salt Spring or whatever, just some of those local waters and some of the lakes in British Columbia maybe doing the Barren Lake chain, stuff like that. There are just so many beautiful places that I can be in the water experiencing nature and uh, enjoying the journey along the way. And before you and I, well, before we started recording, we were chatting about what's next. And yeah. let's, let's, uh, let's talk about that. You were chatting about swimming around Hornby Island. Yeah, so in terms of big stuff, my mother's asked me to promise her that I won't decide anything for several weeks because the, <laughs> apparently this was very hard on the family which I didn't know because I'm like I'm just going for a swim um I have no I, I had no idea my parents were sitting on edge the entire time um so there will be another big swim I don't know what it'll be or when it'll be um but in the meantime I committed to going around Hornby Island next year 
It's about a 25-kilometer swim, and what will happen is we'll get people jumping in and out of the water along the way. We'll have hopefully a sailboat with us, um, a little bit gentler than the motorboats, and people can just do portions of the swim. Uh, we want to raise awareness about the waterways there, and this is something I need to learn more about is the waterways around Hornby. I know the state of the strait. The Strait of Georgia is becoming more and more polluted all the time. We want people to become aware of that and uh, just do what they can to help keep that beautiful waterway um, as healthy as possible. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about Hornby. I mean, I've paddled around Hornby Island and I've seen incredible urchin beds. Uh, apparently there's very deep sea sharks uh, off Hornby as well. It's an amazing place to go diving. Um, but I'm looking forward to hearing about some of the challenges and getting the message out there as to what we can do to help that uh, precious piece of, piece of earth that's known as Hornby Island. It's a very special place. You're going to have to keep um, keep me abreast of that one because I might just jump in with you. I think you will. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, I have one more question. This is my signature question that I love to ask, especially after, you know, we've been talking about the selflessness and the, you know, connecting to the the spiritual self. If you had a magic wand and could wave it over the planet, what kind of world would you create? One with a, um, well, when we started, I talked about how my mother said in online, she had commented on my Facebook about uh, how incredible it was to feel all the love around me. Uh, it would just be a world with more love. Because when you have that, all the other stuff disappears, right? Exactly. You don't have the violence, the greed, or any of that. You just have people that love one another and take care of one another. That would be the place that I'd want the world to be. Me too. Yeah. Good. Yay. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> thank you, Susan. Thank oh, you thank so you. much for this. You totally rock. I am so inspired by you. I'm, I'm so grateful to call you a friend and so glad that we reconnected after all these years and just, just so excited for you oh, we and have what a you're lot, doing we have a lot more adventures to go you and i oh we'll yeah don't this is only the more. beginning that's right yeah. <laughs> thank you very much for letting me share the stories it's uh, it's great it's great to be a part of what you're doing too i like that okay so what do you think think you can tackle a 70k swim well, maybe that's just a little bit too much. It is even for me. Yeah, I'm not really so interested in that. But what about something, anything, that breaks you out of any habitual ruts that are holding you back from doing things that are greater than and more expansive than the way you're living right now? And on that note, this week's inspired question is this. What can you move towards that expands your comfort zone and brings you closer to who you've always been meant to be? In other words, what have you always dreamed of but have always denied yourself because of the excuses that you keep coming up with to prevent you from actually at least even taking the first step towards what you really, really, really want to be doing in life? And if Susan can accomplish what she has with multiple sclerosis, then allow her to inspire you to start moving towards your bigger dreams. 
Really, when you think about it, we all need to live in a way that actually inspires ourselves because when we do, we expand. And when we expand, we become more whole. And this moves us towards a more authentic way of being in the world that honors our innate need to live a meaningful life that is rich and makes the world a better place. So it's not egotistical to inspire yourself. It's actually quite the opposite. It's humbling, exciting, and it's really motivating to become even more of who you're meant to be in this lifetime. So if you head back to my website at debelsarco.com, I've included links to Susan's website and an article in about her uh, recent swim in the show notes on my website. And she's a lovely person. I love having her in my life and I'm really grateful that she took the time to, to share her journey towards expansion and epic accomplishments with us. And just how she has moved beyond the victim mentality to empower herself by being more and believing in herself to even taking the first steps to making that happen. And as she mentioned, it's been a 10-year journey. She and I met when she was just getting back into swimming after a 25-year hiatus. And I am, I'm so excited for her, for how far she's come and who is being revealed within her. So who she is becoming as a result of what she's chosen to do with her life. It's all really, really exciting. And I hope it inspires you as much as it's inspired me. So when you head back to my website, remember to check out all of the really awesome new goodies in the online shop. And if you're not already on my email list, sign up and you'll get 10% off everything in the shop for the entire month. And you can use that coupon code that I'll send you as many times as you'd like. And this brings me to the end of yet another Unplugged podcast. May we continue to open our hearts on our evolutionary journey of awakening to the point where our heads can no longer make sense of it all. As always, I thank you so much for listening. And remember, live with passion, live with purpose, change the world.
Pay attention to what you're thinking and then decide if those are thoughts that are creating the kind of life you want created. And if they're not, then change your thoughts. It's really that easy. And you know what? It actually is. When we have specific thoughts, an emotional circuit is triggered and numerous chemicals are released throughout our body in response. And here's the thing. The body takes only 90 seconds to flush these chemicals completely out. And then the emotional feeling passes. This is what is called the 90 second rule. And it's something you can Google and and find a little bit more about. So if you fear suppressed emotions from something that may have happened in the past that has since become a story of yours, and if you really want to be freed from that story, here's what you need to do. Breathe, move, allow yourself to feel, and know that it's just a short-lived wave that is eager to pass through. It's that easy. So how is it that some emotions just continually plague us? Well, we can get stuck in an emotional response every time we choose to replay that particular moment or event in our minds. And every time we replay that moment in our mind, we charge up the circuitry in our brains once again, and in turn, we release a fresh physiological response. And this is how we become stuck in an emotional loop, automatically replaying that crappy moment over and over and over again. And if you notice, when you replay that crappy moment over and over again in your head, you get feelings, physiological feelings that actually accompany those thoughts. We have a choice here. We can choose the story and stay hooked by the event, or we can choose to release the emotion emotion just as easily as it rose up into our consciousness. And as NLP co-founder Richard Bandler says, Who's driving your bus? And one of the best ways to exit the emotional story loop, as we've discussed in this podcast, is movement. As we allow for freedom of movement within our bodies that is unrestricted, free-flowing, and unjudged, that's when we allow for movement with our emotions and our thought patterns. So essentially, Physical movement is what allows for, uh, for energetic movement. And this energetic movement is what frees us from feeling stuck and instead opens us to more expansive and empowering choices. So think about it. Think about the times that you may have felt emotionally stuck or frustrated and you intuitively knew that you needed to go for a walk just to clear your head as the saying goes, because that's exactly what it does. It frees you from the confines of your intellect and opens up the channels for energy to move. And movement is like this. Even just the movement of breath can quickly free you from the trappings of your mind. Now, if you're anything like me, incremental steps towards transformation just don't cut it. So with that, shake your booty, feel, heal, and be real. Now, this week's inspired question is an inspired invitation for you to pay close attention to your repetitive thought patterns and pay attention to how you feel in your body with these thoughts. And remember, you can deflate them just as easily as you inflated them. 
And if you want to deflate them even quicker, then dance. Now, during our interview, Tony mentioned a song by C2C called Happy. And when I was editing this interview, I took a quick break to check the song out and it was awesome. So I coaxed my partner to join me and uh, I, I turned up the music really loud and we broke out into total crazy dancing that left us both feeling happy, inspired, and absolutely invigorated. So I posted the video to this song in the show notes for Tony's interview on my website at devilsarco.com. And I dare you, this is invitation number two. So there's two invitations this week, inspired invitations. So inspired invitation number two is I dare you to turn on this song, crank it up and really just let yourself go and see how you feel afterwards. Now, Tony just launched a beautiful new website with links to her workshops as well as her teacher training if you feel called to explore this possibility. And as I do every week, I'll be posting all of the links to her information in the show notes on my website at debozarco.com. There you go. With that, I end another Unplugged podcast. May we continue to open our hearts on our evolutionary journey of awakening to the point where our heads can no longer make sense of it all. Thank you for listening. Thank you as always for listening. And remember, live with passion, live with purpose, change the world.